If uh, the, the aliens like manufactured you to be uh, a nah. mixed martial arts fighter, they're like, let's see if we can just turn. This I'm sure. Into I would, a bad it, I'm sure if it would have happened, I would have been much better than than, than this. Much know? better than this. You're the fucking champion. What are yeah, you talking but about? if I would be alien manufacturer, I would be a <laughs> Superman. You know. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast. I welcome you to episode 30 of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. This week, we are going to be diving into the UFC card going down in Lincoln, Nebraska this Saturday night, August 25th, 2018, headlined by Justin Gaethje versus James Vick. It's a very good card, and I'm excited to go over it. We've had odds out for a decent amount of time for this card. There's been a three-week hiatus in the UFC, but there's been a good amount of MMA uh, in the meantime to keep us preoccupied. There was CES MMA. There was Bellator MMA. Lots of other uh, small promotions. I believe Cage Warriors is this weekend. So despite the fact there is no UFC, doesn't mean that there is no MMA in the world of fighting so um, we're going to uh, go over this week's card first and then we will talk about a lot of the stories that have happened over the past two weeks in the world of mixed martial arts so first off let's start with the ufc fight pass prelims going down in nebraska the first fight is honey yaya taking on luke sanders uh, honey yaya is 25 and 9 luke sanders is 12 and 2 Luke Sanders' last win was a win over Patrick Williams um, in April of this year. Also lost to uh, Andre Sukumtat uh, around nine months ago um, via stoppage. He was winning that fight and uh, kind of let it slip through his fingers and got uh, knocked out by Sukumtat. Hani Yaya won his last fight by submission against Russell Doan. It was an arm triangle back in February. Uh, that fight was, um, you know, I believe his dad died in the week up to that fight, and he still went out there and put on a great performance. He's uh, won uh, both of his fights, uh, most recent fights, by submission within the past year. The other one being against Henry Briones. So let's take a look at the odds for this matchup. We have Luke Sanders opening up at plus 165. Uh, and Hani Yaya opening up at minus 215. So pretty decent sized favorite for Yaya. But the odds have come down a lot on this one. Luke Sanders down to plus 100. Hani Yaya minus 120. So this fight is almost at a pick em fight when it opened at a pretty wide margin. So a lot of money coming in on Luke Sanders. It seems like the public is on Luke Sanders on this one. Um, that's kind of questionable, you know, it seems like he, he won his last fight against a not legitimate fighter, and uh, his most recent, uh, or um, excuse me, his most recent loss against Sukumtat was a fight that he was winning, and like I said, let it slip through his fingers and just lost that one in a pretty, you know, surprising way. So uh, interesting that so many people are trusting Luke Sanders in this spot. Hani Aya is a very trusted um, MMA fighter and has a very, very good Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu game. You know, Luke Sanders is not too bad on the ground himself, and that's what a lot of people are relying on, that, uh, you know, Hani Aya is not the strongest uh, wrestler and, you know, not the highest output either, not the best striker. So, you know, he's definitely not a perfect fighter by any means, but... um. There might even be a little bit of value on Hani Yaya at minus 120 right now, but uh, I have no bets on this fight. So the next fight on the card is Drew Dober, who is 19 and 8, taking on John Tuck, who is 10 and 4. Um, this fight is at welterweight. 
Uh, Drew Dober has been fighting at welterweight for uh, a good amount of time now. His most recent win was not uh, an official win in my book. Uh, he lo he won a decision um, against Frank Camacho. It was a really, really close fight. I scored the fight for Camacho. Uh, I remember live betting that fight and, uh, you know, being pretty confident in the scoreboards. And then being dumbfounded that they announced the fucking decision for this guy. If I remember correctly, that, that card had a lot of questionable decisions on it. Let me see if I, let me go back and see if I can uh, uh, highlight any. Yep, uh, Gion Kim won a bullshit decision over uh, Justine Kish in that one. And um, uh, let's see. Bobby Green, Eric Koch, that was another very close fight. Um, and then, of course, that one I mentioned, Dober Camacho. Oh, and Andre Feely, uh, Dennis Bermudez was a very close split decision on that card. So um, that card, it was in North Carolina, I believe, had a, you know, not not really too popular for an MMA state. Had a lot of bad decisions on that one. But Drew Dober is a, a good fighter, uh, like I said, even though his last win, and even the win before that against Josh Berkman, not too legitimate. Um, he, he has, he's got skills. Um, you know, John Tuck is a, not a slouch by any means. Uh, he's moving up in this fight from lightweight. His last win over, a, you know, a shot fighter in Takanorigomi. That fight was around 14 months ago. Uh, has a lot of, uh, a bit of inactivity issues. You know, I had two losses before that, a couple canceled fights before that. Hasn't really been able to get anything going for him. And, you know, that is why the, he is the underdog in this fight. Let's take a look at the opening odds. We had Drew Dober opening up at minus 175. John Tuck at plus 135. And Drew Dober has uh, been bet down a little bit more to minus 210. John Tuck up to plus 175. So it seems like people are pretty confident in Dober in this one. You know, I don't think Dober is too strong of a uh, mental fighter and, you know, obviously physical as well to be, uh, you know, 2-1 to one over Tuck in this spot. So, you know, John Tuck at plus 175 have a, has a little bit of value, although I think Dober should get this one done. Moving on to the next fight, we have Joanne Calderwood who is 11 and 3 taking on Kalindra Faria who is 18 and 7 and 1 uh this fight is taking place at flyweight 125 pounds Joanne Calderwood a former strawweight and is uh moving up in this fight she lost her uh most recent fights to Jessica Andrade and Cynthia Calvillo two uh very game opponents you know not getting any uh any easy matchmaking you know obviously losing to uh, Marion Mirage Courtney K and winning against Courtney Casey and Valerie Letourneau she's uh, faced a lot of stiff competition in her time in the UFC um JoJo's got some skills on the feet not much uh not much wrestling and uh certainly not much grappling behind her uh, you know, her output is nothing too special. It's, it's unfortunately, her striking seems a little bit under-skilled for the level of uh, women's talent at the UFC at this time. Faria has uh, also been struggling uh, a bit herself, you know, losing to uh, Mara Barella by rear naked choke uh, last year at UFC 216 and also losing a split decision to Jessica I earlier this year. This is a close fight. Um, the odds, opening odds, were a little bit wide on this one, I believe. And um, Kalindra Faria opened up at plus 145. She uh, went all the way up to plus 165. Let me see what the highest she got was. Uh, 170 it was the highest she got to. And her line has been steadily dropping since then, getting as low as, you know, plus 135. And um, Joanne Calderwood opening up at minus 185. Uh, seems a little steep for her, and so now Kalindra uh, Faria is currently plus 150, and uh, Calderwood at minus 170. So a lot of action coming on this fight, surprisingly. The line is moving all over the place. You know, we saw uh, Faria go up to plus 170, down to plus 130, now back up to plus 150. So surprising amount of action coming in on this, on this fight. I think that uh, Faria has uh, good value on these odds. Uh, plus 150 is pretty good for, uh, you know, uh, against Joanne Calderwood. Um, you know, obviously, I think Calderwood has, you know, a little bit of an advantage on the feet, but it's not going to be enough for her to, to win this fight comfortably. I mean, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, 
a weird thing in women's MMA, but we see very few women who are able to use their footwork and striking enough to totally keep a fighter off, you know, a fighter who wants to wrestle and take them down. It's very rare that we see a woman in the UFC uh, be able to use her striking and her footwork and her distance to, you know, stay at range and to kickbox the entire time. Very, very few girls who can do that. You know, Joanna. Uh, Rose, I mean, we've seen maybe Angela Hill do it a couple times. We've seen, um, let me think of her name, uh, Nina Ansaroff do it a few times. But, you know, these are, you know, even in those fights, you're, you're probably going to get down to the canvas once. You know, you might lose a round, and uh, it's it's not it's not easy to do in the UFC to keep, uh, to keep a, a fighter uh, away like that. Uh, specifically, the women seem to struggle with it. So I do not think Calderwood's going to be able to do that this time. I think that Faria is going to make it a dirty fight. He's going to be changing levels a lot in this one. And uh, Faria, I believe, is going to get it done. Next fight is moving to the Fox Sports 1 prelims. We have a well-traded fight between Mickey Gall, who is 4-1, taking on George Sullivan, who is 17-6. Mickey Gall uh, lost his last fight. Uh, against Randy Brown, the first pro loss of his career, first amateur loss as well too. So interesting to see how he does with uh, the bounce back from this. He obviously uh, had a pretty propelled UFC career due to his fight with CM Punk early on, which obviously gained him a lot of popularity. And then you know he he uh, continued those that popularity on by beating Sage Northcutt, another fan favorite in his fight after that but you know he ran into another skilled fighter in Randy Brown who handed him his first loss but um fortunate for Mickey Gall his opponent uh George Sullivan is a very very shot fighter at this stage in his career lost both of his most re recent fights against Alexander Yakolov and Nico Price you know no no bad competition that he's losing to necessarily but, I mean, he just hasn't really looked too, you know, uh, capable in the in the octagon lately. Uh, you know, that being said, Mickey Gall is a pretty substantial favorite in this one. Um, Mickey Gall opened up at m minus 245, George Sullivan at plus 175, and uh, Mickey Gall has been bet down to minus 330. Uh, Sullivan is plus 270 now. Uh, you know, uh, I think the opener, you know, honestly, if you could have gotten an opener on Gall at minus 245, that's some good value there. You know, uh, 330, that seems pretty accurate to where the line is at in my mind. Obviously, I would never lay juice on a line that uh, steep, but, um, you know, Mickey Gall is going to, going to get this one done pretty uh, decisively, I imagine. Next fight, we have a very uh, interesting middleweight contest between Andrew Sanchez, who is nine and four, and Marcus Perez, who is ten and one. Andrew Sanchez uh, lost his two most recent fights against Anthony Smith by TKO, and uh, also Ryan James by TKO. Also, so you know two. Uh, back-to-back -back knockouts in, in his fights, uh, you know, he, he did take about eight months off, fortunately, in between uh, these uh, the, that most recent loss, so hopefully he's been able to, you know, get, get himself uh, back on track. He's tra training up in TriStar with uh, GSP, you know, obviously can't get much more legit than that. Um, GSP has even said that Andrew Sanchez is, has the best cage wrestling of anybody in the UFC, so very interesting, you know, uh, uh, that's obviously a very important part of our sport nowadays, whether you like it or not. Um, there's, you know, a lot of the fights are contested uh, against the cage. It's a, it's an, a great uh, way to get a takedown, and uh, you know when you're taken down, there's an art to getting back on your feet using the cage too. So we see the cage come into, uh, you know, into play. Uh, usually in every fight, several times. Uh, obviously throughout the night, uh, it happens, you know, very frequently. Marcus Prez, uh, in his um, two UFC fights, he has lost to Eric Anders by decision, and uh, he has beat uh, James Bocinovich by uh, Rinnick Choke in the first round at UFC 224 only three months ago. So Eric Anders, you know, no, uh, no shame in that loss there. He, uh, you know, was just outstruck in that matchup. Uh, Eric Anders, you know, looking super good at the time. Uh, they were both undefeated coming into that fight. And then he obviously uh, beat a, um, a lesser uh, skilled fighter in Bocinovich, who was, uh, I believe, quickly cut after that fight. So, um, you know, the odds have this one at uh, very close. Uh, Andrew Sanchez opened up 
at plus 120. Uh, Marcus Perez at minus 160. And it seems as if the line has flipped. Andrew Sanchez is now minus 120, opened up plus 120. And Marcus Perez is now plus 100. So it's uh, close to a pick em. There's a lot of action coming in on this fight, balancing the line. Uh, all over the place. If you look at the graph, it's, you know, uh, being steadily going. Andrew Sanchez's line has been steadily going down with a, a slight fluctuation. Uh, you know, same thing uh, uh, Same thing for Marcus Perez. So, a uh, lot of action coming in on this fight. It should be a good one. I think Andrew Sanchez will get it done, uh, but I think it's going to be like a, a close, grindy decision type of fight. Next fight, we have Yuri Alcantara. Who is thirty six and nine, taking on Corey Sandhagen, who is eight and one. Yuri Alcantara won his last fight against Joe Soto by TKO. Uh, was on a little bit of a losing streak before that against Brian Kelleher and Alejandro Perez. Um, you know, bounced back with that win against Soto, and uh, his opponent Corey Sandhagen um, made his UFC debut uh, with a finish over Austin Arnett. Back in January of this year, he uh, he's an LFA veteran coming from that promotion. Uh, had a lot of fights in RFA and other you know established regional promotions against pretty stiff competition. So uh, Corey Sandhagen, despite you know only having nine fights compared to Alcantara's forty-five, it seems that uh, Sandhagen is getting a lot of respect in this one, and the betting line reflects that tremendously. Corey Sandhagen opened at plus one thirty-five. Uh, to Yuri Alcantara at pl- minus 175. So the odds makers said, you know, Yuri Alcantara is a you know pretty decent favorite in this one. Sanhagen has gone all the way down to minus 240. Um, Yuri Alcantara at plus 200. Man, that's that's some of the steepest line movement I've seen for for a, a underdog going all the way to a favorite. Man, that's a uh, you know like I said, it's very very steep line movement. It's unusual to see anything like that you know maybe this you know the odds maker just held alcantara in a lot more um a high regard than he than the the public did because that's the only explanation uh you know i think that uh i think this one's close man i i think there's value on alcantara at this one i think sandhagen is too unproven to be you know minus 240 against a proven vet you know the guy is not too uh you know too highly skilled or consistent but you know he has you know a ton of experience and he's very versatile in there always has some sneaky offense coming uh coming your way so i think that there's value on yuri alcantara at plus 200 odds the next fight on the card the last prelim fight we have james kraus taking on warley alves james kraus is 25 and 7 warley alves is 12 and 2 James Krause uh, won his last fight uh, against Alex White and also won his fight before that against Tom Galicio. Uh, so he was on the Ultimate Fighter 25, Season 25, the Redemption Series. They gave uh, you know former UFC uh, fighters a second chance through the Ultimate Fighter. He ended up getting all the way to the championship and then lost to Jesse Taylor in that one. Uh, Jesse Taylor tested positive in that one, so that's... I thought that was I thought that should be a no no contest and maybe it, maybe he tested positive right after and it wasn't it wasn't that fight but it doesn't seem it was so um you know but James Krause uh, despite having those two wins he is a pretty f- sizable underdog to Warley Alves Warley Alves you know is a very very legit competitor has tacked out Nordine or uh, Nordine Taleb Colby Covington and uh, most recently beat Sultan Aliyev. Um, you know, Aliyev had a huge mouse, or not mouse on his eye, uh, you know, it was a, a hematoma that was just gigantic on his eye. It swelled up within minutes, and they had to stop the fight. Uh, I remember betting on Wally Alves inside the distance in that fight, and it looked terrible. It looked like he was just going to coast to a decision, and my bet was lost, and then he had a hematoma come out of nowhere, and it saved it, and the bet cast. So, very fortunate, um... You know, turn of events there for me in that one, but uh, you know, I imagine that Warley Alvarez should be, you know, pretty. F- uh, let's see if he's favored to win this fight inside the distance. I mean, he has to be, right? Uh, minus one hundred five. Yes. So a little bit favored. I mean, 
dude, he, he's minus 390, and he's inside the distance is minus 105. I mean, like I said, the dude, uh, you know, tends to lay and pray a little bit, like he seemed to be doing, uh, but uh, uh, seemed to be doing against Sultan Aliyev. But, um, you know, Aliyev is much tougher, and I think uh, Kraus is, you know, kind of a, kind of a wimp. Uh, I believe uh, people were talking about his interview uh, having a lot of red flags saying uh, I, I didn't listen to it personally because I, I think that the lines are way too steep in this fight to to you know even invest in it but um or the way too juice for that matter um, so uh, you know just saying a lot of red flags in James Krause's area uh, uh, so I didn't announce the opening odds for this one Warley Alves opened minus 230 to James Krause at plus 170 and he has since been bet down from minus 230 to minus 390. So steep action coming in on Alves. People are really trusting him, uh, betting him almost down to a four to one favorite. Uh, you know, not saying it's exactly des- uh, it's a little it's a little steep, but I mean he he very very likely should get this one done. Um, next fight, moving on to the main card, we have Eric Anders who is 10 and one, taking on Tim Williams who is 15 and four. Eric Anders uh, was uh, on a little bit of a roll coming into his last bout. He, you know, was uh, an undefeated regional uh, fighter. He was racking up some good wins in LFA. Uh, came to the UFC, won his first fight by knockout against Rafael Natal. Uh, won his next fight against Mar- Marcus Perez, also on this card, as you mentioned earlier, by de- decision. And then uh, lost a very qu- close and questionable decision to Leota Machida earlier this year. Uh, that fight took place in Brazil. You know, Machida is a Brazilian legend. It was close, close fight. Um, so a lot of people edged. Or, I mean, a lot of people, I'm sure, gave it the fight to Anders. But unfortunately, the Brazilian judges gave the fight to Leonardo Machida. Not really too unfortunate though, because um, one of the most incredible lines in in that I've seen in Five Dimes history was on uh, that that live bet. Um, Leonardo Machida was around. Um, six or seven to one i believe uh as an underdog going into that fifth and final round in a close fight in brazil and i and i just knew that uh you know something something fishy was going to happen uh in brazil and uh you know we had uh two uh two uh brazilian american judges uh in that one also tony weeks who doesn't not not too consistent of a judge you know so um it's, uh, go, checking the media scores for this one, we had about 15 people score the fight for Anders and about six or seven score the fight for Machida. And um, the general public, um, you know, the most likely uh, the most likely um, result is Eric Anders by decision. So most, most people agree that Eric Anders won that fight. Unfortunately, just got a little screw job action in Brazil, but, you know, happens to the best of us. Um, you know, he, he looked pretty good in that fight. He had showed good cardio. Uh, you know, didn't didn't really uh, you know didn't really ha- pack the power that we all have been expecting though. We've seen uh, Leo Machida knocked out a lot lately, and Eric Anders was not able to do that. Tim Williams made his UFC debut in his last fight against Oscar Pachota. It was a little bit of a slugfest. It only lasted two minutes before Pachota was able to TKO Williams. Um, you know, it was uh, both fighters were willing to trade. Both land, both landed big punches, but uh, Pachota landed the bigger one and put Williams down. Um, so you know, uh, obviously uh, Eric Anders should be the favorite uh, in this one, but uh, you know, you're not going to believe what I tell you the odds are on this one. Eric Anders for the um, opened up at minus two eighty. Tim Williams plus two hundred seems like a pretty fair line. I mean, I think Eric Anders, you know, probably deserves more like f- four to one in this one, but he is now minus one thousand. Eric Anders, the guy who has ten fights and lost his last fight, and you know, showed a little bit of a killer instinct problem. Um, you know, is uh, now uh, is uh, now ten to one favorite. So. Interesting sport, interesting sport. I can tell you that. Uh, Tim Williams plus six fifty. Uh, hey man, I don't, I don't disrespect the stab at this one. I think uh, you know his his uh, TK or his KO line was like plus fifteen hundred. I imagine that's gone down a slight bit, but I mean that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. I think that's the way to go in this one. Uh, it's come down a slight bit, plus fourteen fifty now. So. 
doesn't seem like anybody's trusting uh, Tim Williams even a little bit in this one, unfortunately. He's a Philadelphia native, uh, New Jersey uh, native, um, you know, just this whole tri-state area. So, um, unfortunate that he's getting that stiff matchup. So, um, next fight we have John Moraga, who is 19-6, taking on Divison Figueroa. Figurito. Figurito. That looks, that, that sounds good enough. It's probably nowhere near that, but it looks like Figurito. Um, so uh, we have uh, John Moraga, and he won his last three fights against Ashkrat Mokhtarian, uh, knocking out Bibli, uh, Magomed Biblitov in a 5-1 to one underdog uh, in that fight, and most recently beating Wilson Hayes in uh, probably one of his most impressive wins. You know, uh, definitely coming off the, his back-to-back biggest wins of his career. Um, might be on the biggest winning streak of his career since, obviously, since he, you know, fought for the title. Um, back in 2013, he hasn't been able to get anything going uh, for four years, but now he seems to be on a little bit of a run. Unfortunately, he's running into a guy who's also on a, a bit of a run in uh, Figueroa, who is obviously 14 and 3 and 0 in the UFC himself. Uh, you know, all winning three fights within the past 14 months. So, dude is very active. Uh, had two finishes in um, in that one, and uh, you know, one decision over Jared Brooks. So, uh, you know, it, uh, both these guys are game, man. This one is, uh, I think, one of the best matchups on the card, man. You got to love flyweight. Uh, you know, these fights are always going to be uh, very interesting. Uh, this fight actually opened uh, both fighters at minus odds. Uh, Figueredo is minus 135 and Moraga at minus 105. Uh, seems uh, action has come in on uh, Devison, uh, betting him down to minus 165 and Moraga up to plus 145. Man, I like the opening line a lot better. You know, uh, uh, Figueredo, obviously, I think, not obviously, but I think he should be a slight favorite in this one just at what the opening line is set. Like I said, it's so close. I can honestly see both of them being at minus odds. But, I mean, Moraga at plus 145, man, I, I, I like it. Uh, you know, a lot of people, I mean, it's going to be tough to, to be to beat Figueredo. He's very well-rounded. But, you know, so is Moraga. And I believe Moraga has a little bit of, you know, not uh, a little bit. He's got a significant amount of more UFC and high-level experience than Figueredo. So, this fight should be very interesting. I think there's a bit of value on uh, John Moraga's line and uh, might even consider a play on that one uh, as the as we get closer to fight night. Um, next fight on the card, we have Jake Ellenberger taking on Brian Barberina. Jake Ellenberger is 31-14, and 14, and Brian Barberina is 13-5. and 5. Ellenberger is shot as a 12-gauge, I can tell you that. Losing, oh my gosh, let me tell you this. S- Five out of his last six fights. Man, what is this dude still doing here? Oh, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. He's lost, let's see, two of, or he's he's won two of his last nine fights. Is that even possible? That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. He is two and seven in his past, no, I'm sorry, two and eight in his past ten fights. How is this guy in the UFC? Uh, It, 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 Blows my mind. He got knocked out in 2016. He got knocked out in 2017. He got knocked out in 2018. Uh, and now he's fighting again in 2018. I, I don't understand, man, the motivation behind this this guy. You know, Brian Barbarina is, a, you know, a, a pretty uh, well-rounded fighter. Uh, not a, a killer by any means. But, man, I think Barbarina is going to knock him out pretty easily in this one. I mean, his chin is just so bad. I mean, we saw Ben Saunders land a soft knee to the body of Ellenberger and, you know, put him out in this one. So he didn't get, you know, full-on knocked out in that one. It was more of a, a body TKO. But obviously, you know, took some punches to the head after that. Uh, uh, but n- nothing like his uh, previous knockouts to, like, Jorge Masvidal or Mike Perry, which were just brutal, brutal uh, amounts of damage that he absorbed in that one. Um, you know, Brian Barberina lost his last fight against uh, Leon Edwards. Uh, it was a very close fight, you know. Obviously, just got a little bit out-wrestled in that one. Uh, has some, uh, you know, is unfortunately been fighting a lot of, a lot of stiff wrestlers like Colby Covington and Wally Alves. And, uh, you know, has wins over Joe Proctor and uh, Sage Northcutt lately. Um, so I believe, uh, you know, Barbarina is a pretty safe pick in this one. And the odds uh, reflect so. Brian Barbarina opened at minus 285. Ellenberger plus 205. Man, 
that's as good as a minus 285 line has ever looked. I tell you, uh, you know, he's uh, gotten bet down since two minus 490 uh ellenberger all the way up to plus 390 so uh you know pretty deserving five to one odds for barbarina um you know he's he's gonna get this one done pretty easily um next fight uh my i believe my favorite matchup on the card uh not not because it's because it's a good matchup it's just because i love angela hill so much she's one of my favorite fighters in the ufc definitely my favorite women's mma fighter um, something about her, something about her, man. Uh, you know, she's just very, you know, uh, gimmick oriented. She, you know, comes out wearing the crazy outfits. She's, you know, super scrappy and tough. You know, she had that fight with Jessica Andrade, which I think is one of the best women's fights of all time. You know, top three for sure. And um, she, uh, you know, just put it, just let it out all out on the line in that one. Even though she was, you know, facing a a bulldog who was just dishing out punishment in front, uh, after her. I think I'm going to watch that fight again after this podcast. Honestly, it's a great fight. If you check it out, Angela Hill versus um, Jessica Andrade. So, uh, you know, she's got she's got good Muay Thai. She, you know, is got some got some decent uh, takedown defense. She fights pretty smart, honestly. A lot of a lot of girls, including Courtney Casey, do not fight smart. Uh, you know, Angela Hill eight and four, taking on uh, Courtney Casey seven and six in this one. Hill uh, won her last fight pretty easily against Mary Mraz. Uh, lost a you know a close a close fight against uh, Nina Ansaroff. You know, Nina I believe did win that fight. Um, you know, like I said, close closely, but it was it was a great back and forth contest. Uh, also beating Ashley Yoder before that, and uh, Courtney Casey's struggling a little bit, little bit lately, man. She's got some, her her fight IQ is is very very bad. Um, Felice Herrig split decision loss, Michelle Watterson split decision loss. Both of those fights were in the palm of her hands, and she just wasn't able to capitalize on her openings and you know, secure the vital rounds and positions. The Michelle Watterson fight, I remember being you know razor thin. I, I mean. Courtney Casey is massive, dude. I want She's five seven, has a sixty seven inch reach advantage. Michelle Waterson is tiny. She's five three, sixty two inch reach advantage. She had five inches, you know, height and reach, and she just can't use it, man. Courtney Casey is a bad fighter, man. Um, Angela Hill is, is good, man. I like her a lot. Um, uh, not, I'm not letting my my uh, my favoritism of her cloud the judgment. I think you know Courtney Casey's gonna try to take this fight to the floor. Her her, her striking sucks. Angela Hill's is much better. But un- unfortunately, Courtney Casey's wrestling sucks, dude. Um, she's gonna get eaten up with knees and uh, eaten up in the clinch against Angela Hill, man. Uh, I think Angela could stop her. I mean, Angela, I don't think has <laughs> ever had a TKO before or something. Like, let me see. She maybe had one in. Uh... Yeah, yeah, she's had a couple in uh, Invicta and. In, um, but you know, let's check out what Angela Hill's if if I mean if her KO line is you know a, a good good price plus nine ninety five, definitely might have to lay some action on that. I mean Angela Hill should not be minus one forty in this fight. She should be minus two something. Um, so super good value on uh, on Hill in this one. Really looking forward to that fight and um, cheering for my girl Overkill. Um, next fight co main event, we have Michael Johnson who is seventeen and thirteen. Taking on Andre Feely, who is eight and five. Andre Feely won his last fight against Dennis Bermudez in a razor thin split decision. A lot of people um, argued that it went Dennis Bermudez's way. Let's actually take a look at that fight um, on MMADecisions.com um, so we can uh, uh, see what the the general public and what the media scored that fight for. Um, so yeah, we had, you know, just an overwhelming amount of media, uh, let's see, seven out of, or or, excuse me, 11 out of 14 people scored the fight for Bermudez, and 65% of the public scored the fight for Bermudez as well, so pretty incredible, Andre Philly won that decision, I listed that as one of the decisions earlier from that card with a, a series of terrible decisions in North Carolina, so it seems like, you know, Bermudez got screwed out of that fight, uh, uh, that decision, just like he, uh, you know, I, I believe it's three fights in a row where he won, he lost the decision where the majority of people, uh, agree that he won the fight, um, Really tough breaks for Dennis Bermudez there, 
But, uh, you know, he's not fighting tonight. Andre Feely is. Andre Feely is, uh, you know, a, a decent striker. He's got some got some decent uh, wrestling. He's got good timing. That's his best aspect. He really knows when to change levels well. And, um, you know, he's uh, he's uh, definitely improving a lot. You know, we saw that in the Artem Lobov fight. He was able to win that fight, you know, striking at distance pretty easily against you know, the lesser skilled striker in Lobov. And uh, on his uh, last loss was to Calvin Cater, which he was coming in as a pretty big favorite to that fight, but people just didn't know who Cater was. Uh, you know, uh, that's kind of, it seems like uh, Feely's uh, echelon of striking is, you know, kind of halted around, um, around like mid to high level. I mean, I wouldn't rate his striking that high. Uh, I, I would definitely give Michael Johnson better striking in, in this in this matchup. Michael Sh Johnson's got really good boxing. Uh, he shows that in almost every one of his fights. He's on a three-fight losing streak, you know, fighting straight straight killers. Uh, he's actually lost five of his last six, man. He's gone really downhill, but, man, he's fought. He's fought absolute, absolute killers, man. Benil Daryush, split decision loss. That was a terrible, that was a ro highway robbery. It was a terrible decision. Uh, I, I, if, I, if I look that shit up, I guarantee you that uh, the majority of people say that Michael Johnson won that fight. Um... So uh, I remember, I remember specifically because I was there. I went to Nashville for this fight, and I remember, uh, you know, knowing who uh, John, Michael Johnson was because he had beaten Joe Lozon pretty recently, and he also beat Edson Barboza. So the dude was really on the map, and I thought that he won this fight against Benil Daryush. But uh, and I remember booing the shit out of uh, the scorecards after they were won. So. Um, 13 media scored this fight. All 13 of them scored it for Michael Johnson. And 81% of people agreed that Michael Johnson won that fight. So just like I said, highway robbery in that one. So a little bit of a tough break in there. Nate Diaz, you know, just ran into, you know, uh, a bulldozer. And Nate Diaz, or Nate Diaz uh, was able to, you know, win the first round, but just got outstruck and just couldn't adapt in that one. Uh, had an incredible knockout over Dustin Poirier, man. Really made, uh, that's probably his best win of his career in knocking out Poirier. Uh, obviously fought one of the most killers, uh, the most killer killer of them all, Khabib. Uh, lost in a crazy back and forth fight to Justin Gaethje, and then uh, his most recent fight against Darren Elkins, he uh, you know punched and uh, knocked the shit out of uh, Darren Elkins in the first round. Really had him rocked, but seemed like he punched himself out. Kind of got tired. The beginning of the second round, he was taken down and just showed no no skills in the ground. It was. You know, he's got his back taken and choked out and tapped real quick. Um, Michael Johnson, man, just a little bit of a mental midget. Three and seven uh, career record as a favorite. So, you know, a lot of people don't trust them with their money. Uh, I certainly wouldn't in this matchup, man. It's just too close. Andre Feely is, uh, you know, we, we saw him uh, edge out a close split decision in his last fight, and I think it's very, very uh, uh, possible it happens in this fight. Uh, Michael Johnson plus 125 opening up at... Um, and Michael Johnson is minus 165. And uh, money's come in on Andre Feely. And uh, this fight is now a pick -em at minus 110 for both fighters. So obviously odds reflect that this fight's going to be razor thin. Man, I don't know. I think it all depends on how uh, Andre Feely does with his uh, with Michael Johnson's boxing. You know, obviously if Michael Johnson, uh, you know, his cardio and his IQ are, are there, uh, that's going to be a big part of this one. But Feely used a lot of kicks. Uh, you know, she has good wrestling. You know, Johnson doesn't have uh, bad wrestling either. So, uh, I think this one's gonna have some good scrambles. It's gonna be a close decision, and uh, you know, I don't really have a pick in this one. It's 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 too close to call. This fight is a true pick 'em. Uh, you know, but looking forward to it. Uh, solid ma matchmaking, honestly. And in the main event, we have James Vick, who is eighteen and two, taking on. Oh, I'm sorry. James Vick, who was 13 and one, who was taking on Justin Gaethje, who was 18 and two. Justin Gaethje lost two fights in a row to Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier. No shame in those losses, man. They were p both complete fucking dog fights. You know, the only type of fight Justin Gaethje is in is a dog fight, man. Uh, I mean, you can go back, you know, ten fights in a row, and every single one of his one of those fights was exciting. I guess the last fight that wasn't you know thrilling would be the Melvin Gallard fight. But you'd have to go all the way back seven fights to get that to get there. So you know he made his UFC debut in an incredible fight with Michael Johnson. Had another incredible back and forth fight with Eddie Alvarez. Got finished in the third round in that one. 
uh, incredible war with Dustin Poirier, uh, you know, four months after that loss to Eddie Alvarez, and then ends up getting knocked out again against Dustin Poirier, and man, he's coming back again, four, a little over four months uh, removed from that last knockout loss, man, you can't be doing that, man, this is, this is the one concern I have with Justin Gaethje in this fight, is the, just the damage, man, he's been, he's been, you know, his defense a lot of the time is his chin. He eats a lot of punches every single fight. You know he eats like ten significant strikes a fight. It's it's an it's a terrible statistic. You know it's it, um, but uh you know he usually only only loses to extremely heavy hitters in Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier. Um, you know both you know extremely powerful, great finishers. Uh, we've obviously seen that on display, and you know both of them have competed very recently. We've talked about him a lot in high praise in the show, and uh, you know ju- I don't I don't know if J- uh, James Vick is one of, uh, is one of those hard hitters who's going to be able to knock Justin Gaethje out. Uh, I mean it's it's gonna it's hard to take Justin Gaethje to the decision. It hasn't happened since 2014, and that was the only time of his career. Uh, excuse me, uh, one other decision back in 2012. So you know it's it's hard to take him to the decision you're gonna have to finish him and i don't I, and you know james vick has a little bit of power but i, I think that he doesn't have the, the power and the the tenacity to to finish justin gaethje in this one so um you know james vick is very long he's got some underrated uh submission games as well uh you know justin gaethje is obviously a, a division one wrestler he doesn't really use it at, at all in his fights just relies on brawling and striking and leg kicks you know, I think the leg kicks are going to be a problem for James Vick, um, but you know the leg kicks are what led uh, what led him Justin Gaethje to lose his last fight against Dustin Poirier. He got kind of complacent throwing leg kicks and uh, dropped his guard while throwing the leg kick and ate a straight left that rocked him and eventually led to him getting finished. So uh, hopefully he's corrected that um, that hiccup in his te- in his technique and, and uh, will be able to you know. Um, you know, just be, uh, have strong defense in this one, not so much rely on eating punches, you know, maybe even, you know, use his wrestling if he needs to. He's obviously always teased about using his wrestling, but never ever does. You know, it could happen. It could freaking happen. So, uh, you know, the opening, uh, the odds have been out for this one a very long time. James Vick, we actually, this fight actually opened as, as a pick em for minus 115, minus 115. I think, you know, a little bit of value on Vick there at, at, at openers. But um, now I believe the line has uh, the value has switched to Justin Gaethje. He was all the way up as plus one fifty, which is where I believe I bet on him at. And he's down to plus one thirty now. Vic uh, down to minus one fifty. So a lot more action coming in on Vic's way. But the line is going up and down. You know, uh, there's a lot of action coming in on this fight. Uh, Gaethje's going, uh, you know, all over the place. Um, his line is so it's it's a close fight. Uh, you know I think it's gonna be a brawl just like everyone in Gaethje's fight is, and I think he's gonna thrive in this one against James Vick, who's you know not really a brawl oriented fighter. And um, so uh, you know Justin Gaethje's the pick in this one as an underdog, and I think there's value on his line still at plus one thirty. So that's gonna be all for this uh this. Nebraska portion of this podcast. Now we have just a few uh, stories uh, that have happened over the past couple weeks to uh, you know keep you updated on. So we have number one, Brock Lesnar making an appearance in the WWE SummerSlam this past Sunday, losing his WWE Championship. Uh, you know, which is a great sign for the UFC. Great sign that he is you know on his way to the UFC. And the second great sign is he looked soft. There was pictures of him last year. He was shredded, had you know, vi- you know, visible definition in his chest with his muscles, and this time is much softer. Has you know, a little bit of boobs, a little bit of gut action um, to him. So, um, great sign for the UFC fans. You know, Brock Lesnar could be headed our way, and uh, you know, there's obviously some pretty, uh, pretty um, visible signs that are pointing that way. So hopefully everything goes well with his uh, USADA. He stays passing tests for a couple more months, and then uh, we can get a super fight with Brock Lesnar. So um, moving on, uh, we also have some Conor versus Khabib news. The tickets for, uh, went on sale, I believe, uh, about a, uh, about a week ago, and as you'd expect, they sold out in minutes. The UFC also announced a press conference that will be going down 
for, you know, fans and media, um, like they do for most, you know, Connor fights and, uh, every couple of months for, you know, just to promote their upcoming fights. Um, and, uh, they announced that on UFC tonight. Uh, I believe t- today they actually announced that. So that, that'll be probably happening before UFC 228 in September. And, uh, some uh, some unfortunate news. We had uh, Yoel Romero stating that he will not be recovered from his surgery in time uh, to fight Paulo Costa in Madison Square Garden on November 3rd at UFC 230. Uh, but that fight is looking to be rescheduled for uh, 2019 at some point. Yoel Romero also announced that he signed a new contract. Yoel Romero, what is he, 42 years old, and he signed an eight-fight contract that's incredible eight fight contract he's gonna be fighting until he's 47 or some shit like that that's just incredible i mean he cannot intend to fight the rest of those those fights he probably just had to be milking a deal i mean the dude's probably getting paid like at least you know two hundred fifty thousand dollars to show or something like that uh which he more than deserves um just a special special specimen there uh some more good news we had uh, amanda nunez versus uh chris cyborg finally get announced this fight has been rumored to happen for uh it seems like years probably more like six to nine months it's going down to ufc 232 in las vegas at the end of the year i believe it's december 29th uh and interesting this fight's not going on in brazil obviously two brazilian women champion it would be a huge uh huge fight in brazil but i don't think either of these women are too you know popular unfortunately in brazil or in America, but um, that that doesn't stop the UFC from making it happen. It's obviously the only fight uh, to make at this point. The 135 and 45 have uh, no contenders between the two of them. Uh, you know, obviously Holly Holm is the only one uh, who who's uh, eligible. Um, so obviously, though, I think the winner of that fight will probably fight Holm. Uh, if Cyborg wins, I see her retiring honestly. But I'd like to see Amanda Nunes versus Holly Holm. Uh, more fights announced. Curtis Blades versus Francis Ngannou is headlining a UFC event in China in November of this year. Interesting rematch, man. Two, two careers have gone in different directions. You know, Blades has uh, nothing but improved. Ngannou has, I think, you know, maybe even gotten a bit worse. Um, he submitted Curtis uh, Ngannou submitted Blades in uh, their first fight, and Ngannou hasn't showed any ground skills uh, since then. And obviously, like we've seen in his last fight against Derek Lewis, his striking skills have significantly diminished, along with his killer instinct, his aggressiveness, and his ego, and his self-esteem, and uh, pretty much everything. Um, so that's that's unfortunate. Probably can't afford his designer steroids anymore, and probably can't hit hard. So I think Curtis Blades is gonna win this one. Um, you know he's uh, he's looked like a fucking killer lately. You know just beating the pulp out of Alistair Overeem, and you know, I think that he has good chance at uh, beating Engano and uh, avenging their first fight. And last bit of UFC news, a little bit of a rumor, a little bit of, uh, not conspiracy, just a little bit of juicy uh, rumor mill going around, spreaded by the ever-so-trustful Chael Sonnen. Chael Sonnen pointed out that John Jones has posted a lot of videos of him training lately. Um, he's, you know, uh, stated before, he's not a guy who trains when he's not training for fight camps. He, you know, will, even at the, you know, when he was uh, defending his belt uh, a couple times a year, he would train for you know eight weeks and then fight and you know probably you know at at the time we didn't know but he was probably partying and sniffing his ass off in between fights just relaxing you know drinking smoking snorting shooting whatever the fuck he was doing probably all of the above and uh you know so, so he got accustomed to this lifestyle where he doesn't train you know when he's not looking for a fight or when he's not uh, you know even during his suspension he's like what the fuck man i'm 23 and oh he's like you see that dude who just beat the heavyweight champion he's like I, I, I fucked him up twice like i beat him easily twice he's like i don't need to train anymore he's like the, the only guy i'm coming back to fight is, is is brock lesnar who sucks and dc who's very good but john jones is a kryptonite so i mean John, so I mean, he's he's got to be just be getting in shape. He's you know uh, he must think he has a fight coming up or a potential fight coming up. You know, a fight that would uh, actually pose a, a a problem for him, some some uh, actual adversity to overcome, 
which I think John Jones kind of wants at this point in his life, is Alexander Gustafson. You know, Gustafson uh, was supposed to fight at UFC 227 pretty recently and had to had to pull out for uncircum or unspecified reasons. Excuse me, and um, you know, so it's possible that he could. He could be, uh, you know, ready for a fight uh, potentially in November. And, you know, John Jones is currently suspended by USADA. But, man, shit has been some some freaky shit has been going on with USADA. Um, I believe uh, we are maybe in the somewhere in between the 25th to 35th week of this year. John Bones Jones just got tested for his first time. Did you hear that? John Jones, the guy who tested positive for steroids twice, had his belt stripped from him, what, three times, I think? Uh, is just, you know, uh, has become the most infamous, uh, you know, drug user, re- recreational, uh, possibly performance enhancing, just in the sport, in the history of the sport. And all of a sudden, he hasn't gotten tested for 30 weeks like that's it. That is insane. I mean, absolutely insane. I mean, how many fucking cycles could he have done in that amount of time? Like, you act like testing him now is gonna do shit, man. He's already built the, those muscles in his past couple cycles. Obviously, you know they're not going to be fully, fully juiced up um for for his fight if he fights in november but i mean th- there's already a significant amount of, of enhancement done to his body that is irreversible and it will definitely be present in november if he so chooses to fight it seems like there's a bit of manipulation going on by usada how does the, one of the biggest drug cheats in the sport and one of the guys under the biggest spotlights in the sport for doping not get dope tested in 30 weeks it makes it makes no sense it shows that there's that there's some manipulation there's some favoritism there's something in the works going on with usada to comply with the ufc's needs with the ufc's business with their desire for superstars and it also seems that john jones believes that you know his suspension could be over sooner than we think technically he is supposed to receive a two-year minimum mandatory sentence um, but it, it it appears that USADA is not he's not uh, obviously it doesn't appear that it's definite that they haven't disciplined him yet and it doesn't appear that they're going to use that a harsh penalty it seems that they could you know possibly give him one year or, or retroactive or some bullshit and you know it's possible he could fight sooner than we think and it's it seems like he thinks that himself you know that's why he's been training he's been you know boxing he's been trying to get in shape uh, I mean, he, he. I think he thinks a fight is brewing, and it might be. I can tell you that it might be. Uh, you know, uh, hopefully, man. That Alexander Gustafson rematch is a rematch that we have been needing, needing. So uh, we're coming up on we're coming up on five years since that fight has happened, and since we've needed a rematch for it. So, man, everyone, everyone is going to be sign me the fuck up for that one. So, shit, man. If the Usada's got to manipulate it, if they gotta cheat the system. You know, I'm all for it. The system is the system is bullshit. It's not working anyway. So you might as well just start rigging it up and you know really giving uh, people evidence that this USADA thing is bullshit. So uh, the last pieces of news are all Bellator news. Surprisingly, we have four pieces of Bellator news. Real quick, um, Bellator announced that they uh, the heavyweight grand prix tournament will be uh um starting again on october 12th when ryan bader is taking on matt mitrione in connecticut and the day after that october 13th chael sonnen is taking on fedor emelianenko in new york so um you know those are the semi-final rounds of that heavyweight tournament uh, the winners of those fight will fight for the uh, you know not inaugural but the the tournament winner and the Bellator heavyweight championship. So that'll be you know incredible. Uh, you know both those fights are, are super good and compelling, man. I I give I gotta hand it to Bellator, even though this is stretched out for a while and you know it's it'll be the it'll be ten months by the time these fights happen and by the time the finale happens it could be you know fifteen months. So. 
it has dragged on a little bit, but man, it's been exciting, and they've they've had some good fights so far, and I think that these next round of fights will be will be even better. So things are things are looking up for Bellator. Uh, you know, another big sign of that is Michael Chandler, one of their biggest stars, uh, their most consistent stars. Uh, the, you know, just the the ever relentless uh, pressure fighter, wrestler, lightweight champ, former lightweight champion, uh, has re-signed with the promotion. It was you know speculated or speculated that he was a free agent. Um, you know, it was obviously probably the UFC had a little bit of interest in him, but Bellator, he was a key Bellator guy, and I imagine that he was making a lot of money in Bellator, making a lot of money from sponsors, and I imagine that Bellator probably coughed up a good chunk of change to keep him on the Bellator train. So, you know, good for Chandler, honestly. I think I think that that's probably the better move. We've seen Eddie Alvarez, who was at the top echelon of Bellator, come over to the UFC and fight, you know, six, eight straight fucking killers in a row. And he, what did he do? He went four and four or something like that, or three and five in that stint. And, you know, I mean, he did, he did, he did, great you know he obviously won the title and he had a, he beat some great competition but man he ran into some brick fucking walls um you know dustin poirier conor mcgregor um but he he also overcame some pretty great fighters uh you know anthony pettis gilbert melendez uh rafael dos Anjos, justin gaethje and um but i mean i think chandler might have looked at that and said you know uh maybe i'll maybe i'll stay where i'm comfortable uh, and another thing is uh, steroids. Uh, Michael Chandler is juiced to the fucking gills. You can just see it in him. You, you, man, he's just a, a poster boy for steroids. I mean, d- not against it. Man, man, dude's killing shit over there. Looks like a fucking Michelangelo statue. And just knocking dudes senseless. Knocking their mouthpieces across the arena. Uh, so, you know, stay, stay, where, stay where you are, my man. Maybe we'll get Eddie Alvarez back over to Bellator, get him uh, back on back on the sauce, and get ourselves a, a good old trilogy of one of the, the best uh, best fights of all time. And Michael Chandler against Eddie Alvarez. And last piece of news uh, coming from the most recent Bellator show, I believe it was Bellator 204, that went down in Sioux Falls, South Dakota this past weekend. Uh, Conor McGregor's uh, protege, if you will, uh, James McGallagher, you know, more of just his training partner and a guy he's kind of taken under his wing. It seems like Gallagher is kind of more of a, a big uh, a nut hugger to McGregor than McGregor is to him. Gallagher really, really embraces a lot of the stuff that Conor does, the trash talking, the theatrics the the way he carries himself the way he taunts the way he brags and the way he tries to intimidate his opponent which he did a lot of this fight and the storyline behind this fight is gallagher was just talking all types of shit apparently gallagher was messaging his opponent ricky bandeas you know crazy instagram messages and threatening him and just talking an incredible amount of shit you know getting all up in his face at any opportunity he can during the weigh-ins even before right before the fight uh and you know uh Ricky Mendez knocked James Gallagher the fuck out. He he stunned him with a one-two. Uh, he knocked him down, and then he he again knocked him down with an incredible sidekick. And then he finished. He knocked him out cold with some nasty ground and pound. And it was just an incredible, incredible performance. And there's been a lot of talk about this fight. And it's not about the technique, and obviously, you know, there was an incredible finish. Uh, it's been about just, like, the the perception of, uh, you know, James Gallagher in this one. A lot of people are, you know, saying, you know, he got what he deserved. He was cocky as fuck. He was talking all this shit, and he got knocked the fuck out. And then some people, mostly MMA media, particularly Ariel Hawani, was saying, spare me with that. He deserved it, crap. You know, it's a young kid. He was 7-0. and He lost. He, you know, he's being humble in his defeat. And, uh, you know, you can't, you can't knock a, a young kid like that. You know, you can't talk, uh, put him down. And I was, and, and a lot of people are coming back and saying, that's bullshit, man. This guy was super disrespectful. He was, you know, talking mad shit. He was making threats. He was getting all up in his opponent's face, just not respecting him at all. The term is humble in victory or defeat. Uh, Gallagher was not humble one bit, you know, one bit in leading up to the, the this fight. And I, I doubt that he would have been too humble if he had won the fight. And, you know, it did seem he was humble in defeat. He gave his, his opponent a lot of props, and uh, he was pretty honest with doing interviews and, you know, uh, talking about his loss pretty soon uh, thereafter. You know, seems to be doing well, you know, living on his life after the loss. Obviously, he isn't, like, broken morally and hiding from the media like some MMA fighters do after they lose their undefeated records. But, you know, Gallagher seems to be uh, bouncing back from it pretty well. So 
I don't I don't knock the kid too much. You know, obviously I think that he he deserved he deserved to you know get humbled at some point with a loss like that. I mean, he was just copying Connor's gimmick a little bit too much, and he was taking it a little too far. You know, doing stuff some stuff like Connor didn't even do. You know, like just like I said, he walked right up to his opponent's face like while they were in the octagon before the fight and tried like taunting him face to face while they weren't even like facing off yet. So, uh, you know, it's it's a very, very bold move for you know in- intimidation and he paid the ultimate consequence and uh, you know, uh was ultimately mocked a lot online for uh, you know, you know, getting knocked out after talking all that shit, so you gotta, you gotta back it up, my friend. I'm t- uh, you know, it, it might it might sell tickets, it might get you a little bit of hype, but if you don't back it up, then things are gonna go south for you, uh, pretty quickly. So, you know, I wish James Gallagher the best in his career, and I hope he bounces back from this uh, this um, loss, uh, you know, well. And uh, very uh, much respect to Ricky Mendez for just an incredible finish, incredible technique, and I'll be definitely looking out for that guy in the f- near future. So a little bit of Peloton news, a little bit of UFC news, a little bit of fight announcements, cancellations, a little bit of drama, you know, whatnot. A couple opinions, like I said, on uh, the, um, let's see, uh, which which op- uh, opinions, you know, on USADA, that's what it was. John Jones, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and obviously that Gallagher, which I just talked about. So hope you enjoyed this episode. It's been episode 30. We went over UFC Lincoln. Going to be a great card this weekend in Nebraska. Really looking forward to it. Breaking that three-week drought that we've had in the UFC. Been way too long, and I'm really looking forward to getting back to uh, getting back to the, the, the bets, the live bets, you know, and obviously the fights. Uh, the great fights that you know make our sport so great. So I think that our, uh, we're in for a good weekend, and I hope all you fans enjoy. And ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being, thank you for tuning in to episode 30, and I will catch you guys in two weeks before UFC 228. Peace.